Today's sermon text comes from Psalm 42 and 43. Uh, You can follow along in your Bible or in the Bible in the chair in front of you on page 469. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In Psalm 43, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Father, as we have just sung, we at times walk through darkness that is not yet understood. So would you help us as a church and would you help individuals in this church who are walking through darkness 
Would you help us by your spirit to set our hope on Jesus Christ and the sure hope that is found in him. Help us now by your word to fix our souls on him, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I certainly won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder if you've ever had the experience of sitting in a gathering like this, a church service, and feeling distant from God. Maybe that's you this morning, if you're being honest. You're struggling, not because all of a sudden you stop believing the gospel or because of something bad about the church that you don't like. But you're struggling because of what's going on in your own heart and in your own life. It can seem like everybody around you is doing great spiritually. Like their lives are going smoothly, but that's not your experience. When people ask, how's it going? How was your week? You say, fine. But deep down, you know that's not true. If you're honest, it feels like there's a wall between you and God or you and his people. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one. Or maybe you're just struggling with where God has you in life. If you're not there this morning, and I know in a room this size, there have to be those who are there this morning. But if you're not there, chances are you've either been there in the past. And if not, it's an almost guaranteed that at some point you will be there in the future. May not be a full-blown case of clinical depression, but all of us will face times where we feel far from the Lord. When it's hard to get up in the morning, it's hard to go about our lives with The joy that we once had. The question is, what do you do in seasons like this? For some of us, those seasons are long. For others, it may be scattered days here and there. But all of us will face these days. So what do you do when God seems distant? What do you do when, if you're honest, it feels like he just doesn't care? Sadly... I hope this is not true at this church, but I fear that many Christians, when they feel like this, don't feel like they can come to a gathering like this, which is actually the place that we most need to be, but sometimes it's the last place we want to be. Sometimes the mood of the service is entirely upbeat and lighthearted, and so our hearts feel heavy and out of place. Reflecting on this, again, this is not this particular church, but just evangelicalism in general. One author suggested that the reason we often feel this way is because we've bought into a lighter form of the prosperity gospel. Okay, This isn't the prosperity gospel in its most obvious forms with pastors with private jets and multi-million dollar homes, but this is a form of the prosperity gospel that assumes that life is just supposed to get better and better. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before, as the old hymn put it. Right? That God is there to kind of make sure our dreams are fulfilled and that we're comfortable. Have you 
bought into that version of the prosperity gospel. According to this same author, one of the evidence of one of the evidences of this is how little we turn to the Psalms anymore. Here's how this author, Carl Truman, put it. He said, the Psalms, the Bible's own hymn book, have almost entirely dropped from view in contemporary Western evangel in the in the contemporary Western evangelical scene. I'm not certain about why this should be, but I have an instinctive feel that it has more than a little to do with the fact that a high proportion of the Psalter, that's the book of the Psalms, is taken up with lamentation, with feeling sad, unhappy, tormented, and broken. In modern Western culture, these are simply not emotions which have much credibility. Sure, people still feel these things, but to admit that they are, excuse me, a normal part of one's everyday life is tantamount to admitting that one has failed in today's health, wealth, and happiness society. Gratefully, I don't sense that that's the atmosphere at this church, but it is a good reminder to us, to all of us, individually and corporately, how much we need psalms like this. The title of Truman's article is What Can Miserable Christians Sing? And by miserable, he don't mean, he doesn't mean that they are terrible people. He means what do you sing when you're discouraged and depressed and in despair? What do you sing then? This is where I think Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 can be such a gift of the Lord to us. In these Psalms and in many others like them, these Psalms of lament, God invites us to come and pour out our hearts to Him. And He not only invites us to come in our hurt, but He gives us words to say and to sing to Him when we can't voice those words ourselves. So as we jump into these two Psalms, just a little bit in terms of background and context, just so we can get our bearings here. You may notice from the superscription of the psalm here that this is by one of the sons of Korah. Okay, likely a reference to those whom David put in charge of the temple worship, the songs in God's house. Okay, so one of them wrote this according to this psalm. You also notice here that we're covering two psalms together, 42 and 43. That wasn't a mistake on Graham's part. Okay, if you, if you were paying attention, you noticed there was a common chorus that came up three different times and it came up in both Psalms. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Almost like the chorus to this. If, it, if this, if this Psalm has, if these Psalms have three verses, then that would be the chorus at the end of each verse. As far as just the historical context, this is, again, a son of Korah who is exiled from Jerusalem. He is away from the place of God's house and God's worship. We don't know his exact circumstances. It doesn't tell us this. But to be away from Jerusalem was a big deal. It's not because God was confined to one location. Okay, we, we sung this morning that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But there in Jerusalem, in the sanctuary, is where he had promised to meet with his people in a special way. And the psalmist is lamenting the fact that he is away from God. Okay, so this psalm is written at a very difficult time, at a low point for the psalmist. And I think that's why 
this psalm is so powerful and speaks to us because we can identify with this if we're honest. Okay, these psalms, again, help us know how to cry out to God in our pain, in our despair, when we're downcast. That's really my goal this morning, that as individual Christians and as a church, that we would allow these two psalms to help us fix our hope in God when our souls are downcast. So with that introduction, I want to consider these psalms under two main headings. Okay, two main headings. The first thing I want us to see is the pain of God's seeming absence. The pain of God's seeming absence. Hey, it's not hard to see when you read these psalms that the psalmist is struggling. He is longing for God. He begins by saying he is thirsting for God. He compares it to a deer panting for water. This is an intense longing, a painful longing. It is uncomfortable for him. He asks in verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? Okay, again, he's referring to the fact, I'm not in Jerusalem. I'm not in the sanctuary. I'm not there where God's presence is made known in a special way. His physical distance from God is just a picture of his spiritual distance. In verse 6, he talks about being in the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Miser. We don't know the exact location of that. Probably near the source of the Jordan River in these mountains. What is clear is that he's far away from the Lord. Far away from where he wants to be. He feels distant from God. He's lost the joy of God's presence. Feels forgotten. Maybe, Maybe that's you this morning. This is what it's like to to be in despair. We feel like God no longer cares. And notice this wasn't just like a, a momentary thing for him. This didn't just come and go. Notice he says he shed tears day and night. Instead of having his soul satisfied with God, he says my tears were my food. He mentions mourning. This is a painful emotional experience. And then to make matters worse, to add insult to injury, his enemies are taunting him. Do you notice that? Two different times in these Psalms, his enemies say, where is your God? Right? You profess this God, but where is he? You're downcast, you're despairing. He must not be that great. Maybe he forgot his promises. I thought he was supposed to be great and holy and mighty. Where is he? I mean, it's bad enough to be spiritually depressed, but then to have other people taunting you in the middle of it just seems like too much to bear. He compares it to an arrow going through his bones. The situation is bleak. And the psalmist, notice he does what most of us do in our despair. He tries to take himself back to when times were better. Look at verse 4. He says, as I'm pouring out my soul, I I remembered when I used to lead the throng in the praise of God. He may be referring to when the ark was brought in, or it may have just been one of the festivals. But he remembers when he was with God's people and times were better. These kind of memories can be bittersweet. 
It's good to remember that the Lord has been gracious in the past, but it's hard to realize that we're not experiencing that now. Those memories can be painful. Okay, so all of this is a, is a picture of the psalmist's struggle. Cut off from God, enemies taunting him, and all he's got are memories of when times were better. You know, I just pause here and say, do you have a category for Christians in this kind of a situation? Or does this sound to you like someone who is either not a Christian or maybe not a mature one? I think one of the things these Psalms help us do is to to have a category for this. And this helps us in our times of sorrow. We realize we're not alone. We're not the only ones on earth who sometimes fall into despair or are downcast or maybe even depressed. The psalmist certainly felt it. Right, But this should resonate with us because we live in a sinful and broken world. And if we're honest with each other, we all go through times like this. Okay, I want you to notice, though, in the middle of this, notice, though, what the psalmist acknowledges. Okay, first, verse 7, he acknowledges the Lord's providence, even in his despair. Look, verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It's your waterfalls and your breakers and your waves. It's the Lord that has brought this. Sometimes we try and help people out by saying, oh, the Lord's not in this. The Lord would never bring that into your life. That's not what the psalmist says here. He says, no, Lord, I'm suffering at the hands of your waterfalls and your breakers. We don't know. This could have been a consequence of his sin, or maybe he had nothing to do with it. But he is suffering in one form or another. And he recognizes this is the Lord's doing. The Lord has brought this about. This is not the cry of an atheist. Atheists don't pray to God like this. This is crucial in our moments of despair that we need the confidence that what God is doing, what is happening in our lives, is ultimately coming through the Lord's hands. I so appreciated the other day, Ryan, on Jackie's Caring Bridge site, the quote from Spurgeon. If If you didn't have an opportunity to read that, Spurgeon says this, about the Lord's providence in our despair and in our struggling. He says, it would be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me. That the bitter cup was never filled by his hand. That my trials were never measured out by him, nor sent to me by his arrangement of their weight and quantity. The psalmist knows his only hope is that there's a good father in heaven who is measuring these trials as hard as they are. Friends, that's our hope. We do we do ourselves no favors by denying God's sovereignty in our despair. Our only hope is that a good father is weighing them out for us because he knows us. So that's one thing the psalmist acknowledges in his despair The second thing he acknowledges is God's covenant faithfulness. Again, this is not the cry of an atheist. This is not the cry of someone who's given up on God. 
Verse 8, notice he says, By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. This is actually the only place in these two Psalms where the Lord's covenant name, Yahweh, is used. A reminder of the Lord's unchanging commitment to His people, even in times like these. The psalmist knows, even in his darkest hour, the Lord's steadfast love will not change. He may not feel it right now. Okay, another good reminder to us, too, is that good theology doesn't always drive out despair. Just because someone is downcast doesn't necessarily mean they've believed the wrong things. The psalmist here knows God's faithfulness. He knows it in his head, but it hasn't changed his heart. Okay, this is good to remember as we face discouragement and depression and as we counsel and encourage one another. Not every problem can have a Bible verse slapped to it and it's all well and good. We want to speak the truth into each other's lives, but we need to know that sometimes there's something deeper than simply knowing the right things. So again, the question is, what, what do you do when you're walking through this what do you do when you're when you feel like God has forgotten you when it feels like there's no rest for your soul the psalmist says why are you in turmoil within me have you ever felt like that your soul's just in turmoil this is again where where Psalm 42 and 43 are so helpful because they move us from our struggles to looking to God So we're going to move here from the pain of God's seeming absence to the certainty of God's steadfast love. That's the second heading I want us to think about this psalm under. The certainty of God's steadfast love. Okay, The psalmist here does something that may sound strange to us if you actually think about it. Okay, But it's something we all need to learn to do on a regular basis. He talks to himself. Do you notice that? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? He is talking to his own soul. He feels dejected, but he doesn't sit by passively and take it. He reminds himself of the truth. This is one of the areas where personally I've been really helped by a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones. One of the greatest preachers of the last century. Lloyd-Jones wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And in his discussion of Psalm 42, he makes a really helpful observation. He says this, I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. He goes on to say the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. 
You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? Friends, this is one of the main things these psalms teach us to do. We have to speak to ourselves with the truths of God's word. We have to refuse to let our feelings and our hearts sit in the driver's seat. Okay, this is not simply positive self-talk or willing yourself out of depression. We can't do that in our own strength. Today we might say the psalmist is preaching the gospel to himself. Notice what he says three times in these two chapters. Three times the answer to why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Here's the answer. Hope in God. He's telling his soul, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Regardless of what he's going through right now, he's reminding his soul, the Lord will not ultimately abandon you. He knew he would praise God again because he knew God's covenant promises. And friends, if the psalmist knew that in his day, how much more do we have reason for hope today? If you're downcast and despairing, and we will all be there in some measure at some point, you and I have an even greater reason to hope than this psalmist. In the gospel, we have an even clearer picture of who God is and what he has done for our salvation. For those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, there is no possibility of God abandoning you. Your sins have been dealt with at the cross. Christ's righteousness now belongs to you. For God to abandon you, he would have to abandon his own son because you now belong to him. This is why if you're a Christian, you can pray these psalms, Psalm 42 and 43, and many others like them, psalms of lament, you can pray them with the utmost confidence in your darkest days. You can say to your soul, soul, hope in God. You will again praise Him. It may not be tomorrow, it may not be next week, but you will again praise Him. Let me just say this too. This is, this is not just an individual thing. Right? This is why we as a church need to pray and sing psalms like this together. We don't just need to talk to ourselves. We need other people talking to us. We need to hear these truths from outside of us. Right? This is why if you're, if you're feeling down and depressed and you feel like I'm just going to be a drag on the weekly gathering, let me just encourage you, please come. There's no place better, even when you don't feel like it, than to be in among God's people and hearing God's truth spoken to you. That may come in the form of a sermon, may come in a song, it may come in a prayer, it may just come in a private conversation with another member. But let me encourage you, we need to take up these psalms together for one another, on behalf of one another. We ought to be on the lookout for those who are struggling, those who are on the margins. We need to encourage them. We need to be that voice that says, hey, I I may not be able to identify with what you're going through, but I can tell you this, you can hope in God. You can hope in the gospel regardless of what you're feeling right now. 
Let me just say this too. If, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I just want to ask you this simple question. Where, where do you turn when your soul is troubled? There, there are many things we can turn to. Maybe for you it's entertainment or distractions or a pill or just positive thinking. There's a whole list. But let me just say, whatever you're relying on, whatever you turn to in your times of trouble is ultimately going to let you down if it's not God himself. If it's not the gospel. If that's you, I want to invite you this morning to put your trust in Christ. Let your own sorrows remind you that there's a much deeper problem, and that's the problem of our sin. And it's a problem only Jesus can take care of. If if you want to talk further about that, I or another member would love to talk to you about an eternal hope, a hope that outlasts this life. You were made... All of us were made to depend entirely on God. I mean, even for Christians, this is a good reminder for us why prayer is so important to our spiritual health. It's in prayer that we acknowledge our dependence on God. You know, oddly enough, up to this point in the psalm, the psalmist has not made one prayer request. Did you notice that? He's laid out his problems, he's talked to himself, but it's not until Psalm 43 that he actually lays out two direct petitions or prayer requests. Notice the first one here in verse 1. He cries out to God, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. He calls on God as a judge to uphold him in the face of his unjust enemies. He's being taunted and opposed and he says, God, you'll do what's right. Vindicate me. Okay, what, is it, what does it look like to pray a prayer like this today? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read a prayer request like this and I know my own sin, sometimes it can be hard to say, God, vindicate me. I know how far short I often fall, so I'm maybe slow to pray, vindicate me. Okay, but the psalmist here isn't claiming to be sinless. He's saying, God, I belong to you. I belong to your covenant promises. I belong to your people by your grace. So vindicate me. Judge my enemies. They're the ones who are ungodly and unjust. God, I belong to you, to your steadfast love and mercy. Okay, most of us in our context, we may not be chased by physical enemies. Certainly for some Christians around the world, we prayed for Afghanistan this morning. That's a real issue in Afghanistan. You would really be praying this for physical enemies if you were a Christian in Afghanistan. God, vindicate me. Okay, but for us, that that may not be the reality, but let me just say this. Satan, our ultimate enemy, would love nothing more than in our despair, in our discouragement, right, to pounce on us. This is what he does, right? In Scripture, he's often compared to a lion. Right? If you've ever if you've ever watched nature shows, right, and you, you watch the, the, the predatory cats, who do they pick off? 
Right? They, they find somebody in the herd who's struggling and lame and go after him. That's what Satan does. He finds us in despair, in discouragement, and he tries to pick us off. One pastor put it this way, suffering disorients us and makes us susceptible to being deceived. It's so true. When you're already down, Satan likes to, likes to come on, just like the enemies of the psalmist here. Where is your God? He, he wouldn't let this happen to you. If he's really faithful and really good, why would he bring this now into your life? This is where, again, we've got to learn the lesson of the psalmist here to preach to ourselves. This is why we have to know God's word, why we have to hear God's word. A verse like Romans 8.31 comes to mind. The Apostle Paul says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's what you say when the enemy comes to deceive you. Or a few verses later, Romans 8, 33 and 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. He vindicates. Who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Friends, that's why we can pray for vindication, not because of our sinlessness. We can pray for vindication because we belong to the one who's already been vindicated for his righteousness. Jesus Christ. In the garden, as Christ's soul was troubled, possibly even an echo of these psalms, he says, my soul is troubled now, Father. He was in agony in the garden. Can't you just hear him praying Psalm 42 and 43? Father, vindicate me against an ungodly people. We know the Lord answered that prayer, whether he prayed this specific psalm or not. How do we know? Because God raised him from the dead. He said, this is an acceptable sacrifice. And so he raised him from the dead. Now, all who belong to Jesus Christ have been declared righteous by faith in him. So we can pray this prayer with the psalmist. God, for the sake of your son, would you vindicate me? I belong to him. See, that's, that's the first prayer in Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O Lord. Second prayer comes in verse 3. The psalmist prays for the Lord. He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. The, the psalmist says, Lord, would you send two messengers? Send me your light and your truth. Okay, possibly the light of God's presence here. We think of the pillar of fire that the Lord sent. The light of his presence and the truth of God's covenant faithfulness. Lord, come to meet me. I want to know your presence again. I want to, again, hope in your covenant promises. Please bring them to pass, he prays. He wants to be back in the sanctuary in Jerusalem so that he can enjoy God again. Notice verse 4 here too, because ultimately this is, that's his hope, to be with God again. Verse 4, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. I love that he calls God his exceeding joy. That's ultimately the answer to his despair. Not that his circumstances are going to change, although he certainly hopes that, he prays that. Not that he's just going to have a sense of peace, although that will come. 
But he says, I want you, God. You are my exceeding joy. Friends, the only one who can satisfy our troubled souls is God himself. When you feel like the psalmist, forgotten, downcast, depressed, distant from God, remember to set your hope on God himself, not just his outward blessings. His character, his promises, all that he said he will be for you in Jesus Christ, set your hope on that. The psalmist doesn't say, just hope for better days, hope it'll all work out, right? If we were writing this psalm, that's how we would do it. But this psalmist is longing to find joy in God himself. Again, this is, I mentioned the prosperity gospel earlier. This is one of the things that the prosperity gospel misses. It uses God to get his gifts rather than going to God himself. Have you ever stopped to realize that the prosperity gospel, the problem isn't that it promises too much. It promises too little. Because God himself is our great reward. This again, this is why we need psalms of lament. They help us reach out in faith to the God who can satisfy our souls. One one final thing to, to note here that as the psalm ends, I want you to notice that the psalmist's struggle hasn't ended at the end of this psalm. Now certainly if we keep reading through the book of Psalms and through scripture as a whole, we can see how the Lord works this out. But here, in the moment, as the psalmist writes these, all of his problems haven't gone away. This is not a Hallmark TV show where he says, oh, and at the end, I went to Jerusalem happy with my friends and we all enjoyed God again. Isn't it great? The end. Now, how how does this psalm end? It ends, why are you downcast, O my soul? He's still downcast. Hope in God. This is a reminder to us that our hope is ultimately future. Our sorrows and our longing for God aren't ultimately resolved in this life. Okay, even though if you're a Christian, your eternal inheritance is secure in Christ, but we still live in a world broken by sin and suffering. This is one of those truths that sometimes older saints are able to grasp better than younger ones. Our failing bodies are a painful reminder that this life is not all that there is. Life doesn't just keep, at least outwardly speaking, getting better and better and better. Sure, our our inner man, as Paul would say, is renewed day by day. Our faith can grow stronger. Our hope can grow stronger. But in terms of the promises that God has given us, they aren't ultimately resolved in this life. Again, this not to pick up. Well, I do want to pick on the prosperity gospel. Another problem with it is it's short-sighted. It deceives us into thinking that health, wealth, and happiness are all about now. But God's word tells us beyond this life is our final reward. That's true biblical hope. Again, to return to, to 
Romans 8, Paul says, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So that's my closing exhortation to you and to us. For struggling and downcast Christians, which is, again, that that, that will be all of us at some point. To set your hope in God and to wait for him with patience. The sufferings of this present time, Paul tells us, are not worth comparing with the glories that are to be revealed. As the hymn writer put it, behind a frowning providence, the Lord hides a smiling face. So let's close this morning by by asking God to sustain this hope in us. Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge as a people that we do not have it all together. We acknowledge that our souls are sometimes downcast. For some of us, even now, your presence and your promises seem really distant. So by your spirit, would you help us to hope in you again? Would you give us promises, give us confidence in your promises? Would you give us confidence in the gospel and what Christ has done? Would you lift our hearts from the things of this earth that don't satisfy to help us look to you, our exceeding joy? And would you do this all for the sake of Christ, your son, in whose name we pray? Amen.